Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends, wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those major places you can find podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your gravelly voiced host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the Garrett Cole of Texas Longhorn Podcasts, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. If I'm the Garrett Cole, you're the Justin Verlander, my friend. I mean, that is a compliment. You're no way the Zach Grinky, but hopefully you can get it together. There were some sports going on in the state of Texas. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of them, probably some some football-related ones, I would imagine. The Astros go, Astros go. Um, just since we had to push this back a day, thanks to um, my entire fiber getting cut and having zero internet for the past 48 hours, Um we're here on Tuesday. We got some cool things because of that. Maybe a different view when this drops on Tuesday. It means we recorded it on Monday. So a little inside baseball there. But uh, we are recording post Astros going up 2-1 against the Yankees. Gerald, how are you? Man, I'm good. I don't know what's going on with my voice. And I'm kind of tired of it, to be completely honest with you. But other than that, I'm doing fantastic. Unlike these Texas Longhorns who came out and struggled in Dallas against the Oklahoma Sooners came out slow, but somehow went into halftime still within striking distance. Could not ever really, it never really felt like a seven point game, even though it was a one score game for most of the day. And the gold hat is going to Norman, even though Jalen hurts said he didn't really care about this game. He definitely was cheesing wearing the gold hat after the game because he is a lying liar who lies and he actually cared about the game. Uh, OU moves up to number five. Texas drops four spots to number 15. There's a lot to unpack, Kyle. Uh, we could talk about either side of the ball because, well, the offense got outcoached and outmuscled. The defense got outcoached and outmuscled at different points of the game. So we'll just start, I guess, with the offense. Uh, 310 total yards, the fourth worst offensive performance under Tom Herman. Uh, second or behind the 2018 performance last year against, of all schools, Kansas. And then 2017, we know what the offense was that year uh, against Oklahoma State and Missouri. Weird thing, Texas won two of those games. Uh, But 4.2 yards per play. Of the first 46 plays, 20 of them went for zero or negative yards. Kyle, that is absolutely inexcusable, and I, and I don't know if it was the players, if it was the coaching, if it was the game plan or the script. Like I don't know what who's to blame, but I kind of just want to blame everybody. Yeah, I think that's a fair place to start. Um, I think you, you have to set your, your players up for success. I think this starts, and the coaches have admitted as much with, with the coaching, with the game plan, on certainly on the offensive side of the ball. Um, OU executed, UT didn't. Um, OU seemed like they came to play like they were ready to be physical, like they, you know, were playing with their hair on fire. UT didn't. Um, I mean, just in 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 general, this was um, th- this was a team that I don't know. Maybe maybe they there is a very deceptive scoreboard to say that this was a seven point game. Um, you know, they. 
On the first 46 plays, 20 of them went for zero or negative yards. To so just give a color and put some perspective of how this offense looks, Sam Ellinger had you know, one of his toughest goings, worst games of the year. Even when he did get it out there, there was uh, you know quite a few drops from the receiving unit. Uh, the offensive line, what we thought was an absolute strength coming into this, proved maybe to be, eh, we'll see how they look each week which is a huge step back from kind of the confidence level that we had. Um, running backs, you know, got to give them the ball to be able to give a uh, to give a good assessment of how well they did. I mean, all in all, just the offense, the offensive unit lost decidedly as the, in theory, and, and I think as it played out up to this game in, in the season, as the more talented unit, they got decidedly outplayed by the OU defense. If you had told me last week that OU would be the better coached offense, I would have been, that's fine. That's totally fine. But if you had told me that the OU defense would be more physical and physically dominate the Texas Longhorns, I'd have called you crazy. Like they haven't played anybody. They're not a physical team. They've never been a physical team. They probably will never be a physical team. Uh, And so like that was, that was the, craziest thing to me and I think the offensive line is probably where that was the most evident they got beat like a drum like Shackelford I have not seen that guy on skates like I had on that game he was his head was not in the right places he was clearly not calling out the right defensive schemes or defense well calling out the defensive schemes for the blocking schemes and he there were some clear, clear bad alignment issues. Uh, there was some simple zone blocking that they probably should have called audibles on where the way OU was lining up. You call the offensive line audible. Maybe you just call a base block. Just base, 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 base. And everybody blocked the man in front of you. So that way you can get some help with a nose tackle, Shaq, who's beating your behind like you stole his lunch money. Like, there's no two ways to say that. Like, Shaq got beat and... At it at the end of the game, it got so bad he just straight tackled the guy, like just wrapped him up and took him to the ground. And a lot of it was on Alex Grinch's scheme. They ran a lot of twist stunts up front. They ran a lot of delayed blitz and kind of overloaded that a gap, which is hard, especially when you've got Shackelford who's getting beat, so he's in his own head. You've got Angelau on his right side. Uh, you've got. Uh, uh, you've got Parker Braun on his left, and then you've got Roshan Johnson in the backfield, who, as good as he is as a running back, and we'll talk about that at length, uh, he's still learning a lot on blitz pickup. And so they exploited the middle part of that Texas offense and that offensive unit and wreaked havoc on the offensive game plan. Yeah, and I, I think the game plan is an important part because uh, you can talk about there's like a, a trickle down or some kind of you know pyramid effect here. Um, if the game plan is just wrong and you get out coached and out schemed, sometimes you can just out muscle, out want, out hustle, out perform, uh, and beat a team anyways. Um, when you're matched up pretty evenly, I, I think it started right from the top. I mean, I, I don't really know what our what our running game plan was going into this. I don't know. Um, I know they had Greg <laughs> Davis consult. I don't know what some of the you know the the slow passes behind the line of scrimmage with a defense that's playing purely downfield. Um, Grinch earned, earned his money. I mean, he earned his reputation, earned his money. Um, I'll say this. Let me let me take it back up. Sam Ellinger proved a lot of heart to me. Um, I, I think he's obviously coming back next year. Um, I think he's going to have an enormous chip on his shoulder to, to win this 
game next year. Um, I, I think those are the good things. I think he took a lick of nine sacks and just quite a few hits. Um, if 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 those those passes that got dropped um, were kept, were caught, maybe two touchdowns in there that don't add to his stat line and just it looks quite a bit different than it did. But either way, he never stopped coming until the end of the game, um, and you have to give him credit for that. He's the only reason really that that I think we were uh, as close as we were. Um, I just whether it was like you said the blocking schemes, whether it was our game plan coming in to say this is how we are going to handle. Uh, this and how we're going to set the the run in the edge. What type of counters? What type of um, again? Grinch didn't do anything surprising. He he showed his cars. You knew who he was. He's downhill. He calls it speed D. Um, you also <laughs> both Lincoln Riley and, and and Grinch said and to the broadcast confirmed it. They teach holding on the defense. They literally said the quote was um, you know we we teach them to uh, to hold and make the refs call it. Um, so I mean you knew that you were going to get pass interfered. You knew. It was the like you you often call it the uh, you know fifteen not six type penalties. Um, you knew all of that, so there was nothing unknown that OU's defense did coming into this game. I think with maybe the the pressure breaking down like it did, we kept running routes that made it feel like Sam had a clean pocket and didn't set him up for success. So whether it was the pregame planning, the in-game audible and execution, I just think you could talk about the offensive players, but you just have to start with. Our coach is getting flat out outcoached on that side of the ball. No questions about it. I mean, the last thing we'll say about the game plan, or probably not, but at least for this point, is Sam only handed the ball off in that game 13 times. Sam handed the ball off 13 times. Three of those were on Duvernay, to Duvernay on a jet sweep. So 10 times did a running back take a handoff from Sam Ellinger. Keontae Ingram, granted, who struggled to get going, only touched the ball twice. Only touched the ball twice. Roshan Johnson touched it eight times. Granted, Roshan did a lot with those eight carries, but giving the ball to your running back 10 stinking times when you run 48 offensive plays is inexcusable from a game plan standpoint. Tom talks all the time about how they want to be they want to be multiple and they want to be able to be balanced. Well, then don't abandon the run in a one-score game. Mm-hmm. Like I know, I know you feel like OU has their foot on your throat, but when Roshan is cracking off darn near twelve yards a carry, then maybe you've got something going. And so continue with that. And so I think that's a a good point to talk about. We could talk about the ground game because yeah. Roshan played a heck of a game. Roshan, I think, is probably the I I don't want to say the lone bright spot because I'm not trying to be that much of a sky is falling guy after this week. Cause the sky is not falling. Uh, but there are some, there are some things. So Roshan Johnson, again, like I mentioned, eight carries for 95 yards at 11.9 yards per carry average. Kyle, we, we've talked a lot about the running game and the ground game for Texas. And Roshan seems to be like the most consistent uh, offense or the most consistent producer at that position for Texas so far. Yeah, there was a there was a sequence in the to, to talk about Roshan. I'm going to talk about Keontae Ingram. There was a sequence in the third quarter um, where it just looked like Ellinger was frustrated, like he wanted Keontae to do something different, and, and it just um, it was pretty emblematic. And then when you got Roshan in there, you you had a guy who was who was able to go downhill again. You you want to set running backs up for success. Like if it, you have to do some plays to make a team 
hesitate with their downhill running. Um, the, the, the big play that they actually um, were able to cork off, I think it was like 57 yards, um, was, uh, was a fantastic call. What they actually did, I'm not sure if, if everyone noticed that, but they moved Cosme over in an unbalanced line, had him playing kind of in the tight end role, um, and, and that was what sprung him. Uh, and you saw a team that runs so hard down the second level, um, or excuse me, runs so hard downhill that there is no second level because they're basically just crash blitzing into the line. So with that um, addition in numbers, they were able to get past that. And then there was no one. It was just defensive backs, and it was a foot race. So um, it was baffling to me that we never went back to that well. Again, anything that works um, or, or just gets in the head of the defense, and, and then you start building off of that. You start doing your, you know, we ran it to the right this time, so we run a counter off of that back to the left, or whatever it is. Um, we didn't come to that. But but truly, to, to talk to what we're talking to specifically – I think Roshan just has a knack um, and he's growing into the game, growing into the position, growing into the, uh, the kind of big, big play mentality, not just the 57 yard run, but immediately after hurry up, give it back to him up the middle for the last three, let him finish it off. He was not, or four, he was not going to be stopped. He fought and, and just truly pushed his way through that right there. Maybe that second run showed me as much as the first run. Every time the guy has scored a touchdown this year, you just see a passion spill out of him that he wants it so bad. And I'll take a kid who wants it so bad and shows uh, not just in their words in pregame, but during, you know, between the, the hashes during the game. That's what you get from, from Roshan Johnson. And I think that's that's what you look for in your, your RB1. So at this point, I don't know why you argue it to, to your first point the fact that they didn't run that three more times and then on the fourth try run a play action bootleg with ellinger going towards the long side of the field and you squirt colin johnson behind the linebackers and let him run that comeback route or let him run a, a quick slant is beyond me but yeah you roshan's yards per carry is slightly inflated because of that 57 yard rush like you can say that however if you take out that 57 yard rush Dude was still averaging 5.4 a carry. So like it wasn't like it was totally just one long rush. Yeah, and yeah. and here's here's the stat for you Kyle is that on the year Roshan is number 4 in the conference in yards per carry. Number 4 in the conference. So Jalen Hurts, Darius Anderson at TCU, Chuba Hubbard, Roshan Johnson, 1 2 3 4. So like the guy is is a legitimate running back. And Tom Herman said on in his Monday press conference that Keontae is still the starter, but I think Keontae is still the starter in name only. Like I, I would, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I have no sources on this, but if a guy is producing, then you need to give him more carries. Like that's just what smart coaches do. And, and so I think you have to start seeing that ratio shift towards Roshan. Yeah, and, and and I certainly understand that. I think the only single only thing, again, those nine sacks, your running back is as, not as much, but is a part of that, just like your offensive line. And so a guy who doesn't know the position, we talked about this in our in our preview, um, basically a couple times when he got moved over to, to the running back position. That's the hardest thing for a kid to pick up. You know, he's an athlete. He knows how to get yards. He knows how to make people miss. He knows how to take a football and run with it. He's been doing it for, you know, 15 years of his life at an elite level. Um, it's a whole different skill set to ask running backs to, to, you know, 
be great in pass protection. He actually has flashed pretty well, but in his biggest test of the year, where he played a lot of downs against OU, again, there were some plays he could have done better, expected. Um, there were some times when he had big old Neville Gallimore untouched with a full head of steam that you don't expect him to win that. But there was also some chip blocks and some things that I would have liked to see a little better. So that's the only thing I can think, is that Keontae having another year on him and having years as that running back position um, brings a little bit more experience true pure running back experience and that's what it is and also just to keep keep out of Keontae's head we know he's a great running back if you move him to two maybe the coaches think you know you lose him forever he just doesn't come back from that but but at the end of the day you have to start thinking about you know who's your guy who do you give the ball to who's your who's who's a winner for you so um I I trust the coaching staff will sort that out and and we'll see both pretty heavily going forward absolutely and so we'll, we'll hit really quickly on the wide receivers Colin Johnson again showed that he fears no sooner six receptions 82 yards in his uh, trip back he did have that one uh, costly drop he I tweeted it he was looking at that burn orange end zone like there's no two he was just you don't expect to be that wide open especially what like I think maybe he was thinking like nobody's grabbing my arms right now (laughs) <laughs> what do I do with this? And so he didn't know how to adjust his his hands to like compensate for the lack of weight on his inside arm. And so maybe that's why he dropped it. You joke, but seriously, like, it, it, I mean, he there was a, a after that play, he made an unbelievable catch and they called a different penalty. But the replay showed very clearly that he was first held then pass interfered and still with his one free hand made a catch. So, so it's, it's kind of funny to, to laugh about that, but it's also true. Like, it's also like giving a guy a, a three point shot. That's too wide open. All of a sudden he's like, wait, I have no hands grabbing me. I have no one between me and the end zone. Uh, and he just made a, a rare play for him. Um, but I, I truly think he came, uh, came to play. And unfortunately, if he, if he didn't get hurt, I think we had a little bit, not only a little bit more meat on the bone for him to get a hundred yard game and keep, abusing the smaller defenders, but he would have been the guy on the onside kick at the end of the game uh, to recover that. And we saw he almost did that against LSU. He was replaced being injured, and, and I think it was Eagles. Uh, didn't quite get there, didn't have the sellout that Johnson had uh, in that game. So, you know, a lot of different ways the uh, the butterfly effect could take. But truly, I think my my offensive guys that I graded out as, as you know, had – very good games were Colin Johnson and, and the two Johnsons, basically Johnson and Johnson, uh, a Procter and Gamble company. Yeah. And, and, and they were in the third quarter, at least part of, I would venture to say the only reason why Texas had some offensive momentum in that, in that third and fourth quarter in a lot of ways. Um, so Texas again, struggled on offense, but it wasn't just the offense that struggled. Um, Todd Orlando's unit, has now allowed their second 500-yard game of the season. 511 yards this way. It's not on the 25 worst performances of the school's history like the LSU game is. However, uh, that's now, again, 1,100 of their 2,700 yards allowed this season came in two games. Uh, So 276 rushing yards for a ridiculous 7.3 yards per carry. A lot of missed tackles. CeeDee Lamb made them look like they were standing still in a lot of ways, and sometimes they were standing still trying to figure out what to do with CeeDee Lamb. Uh, I don't know where to start with the defense because I've never – I say never – this is the second time this year that I've seen this Texas defense look completely outmanned, which is something I didn't think I'd I'd have to say again. 
Let's start up front with the giant Texas-sized caveat that there were some injuries, right? I think we'll give that. They came in with injuries. There were further injuries. Um, we can we could dive into that at the end or maybe even in a preview for next week. Um, but just know they were all over. Linebacker, especially that defensive back position, there were injuries. We had um, a senior captain get ejected on a, a really ridiculous play, um, I think, honestly, with a wide receiver deciding to slide Um Anyways, but uh, so there were some things. That's all the good you're gonna get out of me. Um, the rest of this is 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 not that. Um, there there's no excuse for the the tackling, the the scheme, the inability to spy a quarterback, the inability to tackle a good receiver, a very good receiver. Don't take nothing away from him, but just they made CD lamb look like he was, you know, in that super Mario, he'd just eaten a star mode and people were just flying uh, off of him. I mean, Gerald, I want to pause and talk about the missed tackles. I asked you before the show, if you'd seen the official stat and I didn't put it in the notes specifically. I will give you context here before I trivia you. Um, the, the Louisiana schools that started off the season, we did pretty good 14 and 12 rice, um, single digits, good game. Oklahoma State, so the state of Oklahoma has flipped with uh, with with Louisiana. Oklahoma State was twenty seven missed tackles. West Virginia, not not bad. I actually found I met my bang the drum after all. It was under 15, 12 missed tackles. Do you have any idea how many missed tackles were in this game? I'm gonna guess a ridiculously high number, and it's not gonna be high enough. Forty. No, <laughs> um, it, it certainly felt that way. Um, it was not quite that. It was our highest of the season. It was, it was according to Pro Football Focus, I think it had at, at 28, um, almost 30 missed tackles. Texas is by far the leader or loser in the country in this category. Those 28 tackles, if just kind of conservative estimation, approximately 195 additional yards, seven additional first downs, and two additional TDs. That's the game. The offense we just spent 20 minutes talking about the struggles they had. But right there, those numbers, that's the game. Two of those two of those touchdowns, there were eight bro- eight broken tackles or missed tackles on CD Lamb. Two of his three touchdowns, there were five and three Texas defenders that should have tackled him. So that's not shocking at all because I saw it with my own two eyeballs. Like I I saw it happen on two of his three touchdowns, there were and and I love the like I if you don't listen to the solid verbal, you should. It's probably the best general football podcast, college football podcast out there. They're incredible. They're kind of uh, my inspiration for a lot of the podcasting I do. But they 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 screen capped one of those touchdowns. Actually, both of those touchdowns. And there are five and three defenders. Like I'm looking at the pictures right now. So it's ridiculous. It is I, I, inexcusable. Like and Herman took some credit for it or blame for it in his Monday press conference because they because of the injuries they haven't been doing much live fire hitting and tackling in their in their practices and so that showed out nope nope nobody was shocked when you said that Tom because some of those guys don't look like they've ever done a tackling drill yeah I get it so Jameson was a receiver right if he's going to be a weak tackler but he wasn't even necessarily our our biggest offender. The rest of the guys are defenders. They, they call themselves defenders. They think of themselves as defenders. They've been playing defense the majority of their life. 
what happened? I mean, you have does this stem back to, to high school football coaches? Like, where is this coming from? I think certainly this isn't a game plan just in this week problem. It's a what were you doing in spring ball problem? What were you? I mean, I know there's injuries for sure, but like, what happened? How how do you let it get this bad? OU, who also gets all of their best players out of Texas, um, clearly out of the same system, uh, they looked incredible. Like they overperformed. They knew how to tackle. They overperformed only because, I mean, Texas was getting in position, not at the pace and the downhill running that OU was, but they were getting in the same position that OU's defenders were, where it's a one-on-one tackle. If you make it, it's a two-yard gain. If you miss it, it's a 20-60-yard to to gain. And OU made every single one of those tackles against the Texas offense. UT, I, I, I'm trying to remember more than one or two. I think the best tackle of the, of the game was Osai hitting C.D. Lamb on a punt return. Um, so, you know, just, uh, not, not in even the, the defensive realm. It just, it was pretty unbelievable. Um, and and again, it, it showed, um, especially on that receiver, it made Jalen Hurts as much as Texas looked deceptively close in this box score. Jalen Hurts looked deceptively like a pretty good passer, um, due to CD lamb, CD lamb having 85. I mean, basically their offense is, uh, pass it to CD lamb short something very simple from the quarterback and let him do incredible yards after the catch. By the way, replies of Texas me, if you can find, I could not find it when I researched a, in a database that shows they do it in the NFL, but not for college receivers yards after the catch. But anyways, it must've surely been a hundred plus 130 plus after the catch uh, yards for lamb. Um, and then runs a pretty good uh, read option. I will say that he's very good at executing that running play. Um, and then, when he sees it break down his first read, usually lamb um, or maybe Rambo sometimes isn't there. He's quick and he runs and he'll get you, you know, get you 10 yards um, or, or more. Uh, that shouldn't be, I didn't see enough from that offense to think, Oh my gosh, that's, they really wowed me. Right? Like if, if you had Baker or Kyler running that offense, that would have been a, a five score game um, hurts third down and you know turnovers early in the game are their only reason that it was a seven point game I mean sure he ran and 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 had some scary things there uh but there's a lot of big fast quarterbacks in the country who could have done that when Texas tackled the way they did you you made a comment about C.D. Lamb was basically Jalen Hurts's day C.D. Lamb was Jalen Hurts's day to up to receivers not named C.D. Lamb Jalen Hurts had six completions for 64 yards. Two receivers not named C.D. Lamb. Six completions, 64 yards. C.D. Lamb is... We talk about Jalen Hurts being the key to this offense. C.D. Lamb's ability to carve up Texas is the is the hands-down reason, I think, why this OU offense was able to move against Texas. Now, granted... They were really out of position on a lot of these um, like jet sweep action up where Texas, Texas was really afraid to commit to a player and commit to tackling them. Uh, they were in position on Jalen Hurts a couple of times on the on the zone read. Um, they, they, the way OU was running it is they would they would motion Lamb across the formation. There would be an option to hand off there, then the zone read and kind of a bootleg uh, after that, or can you know, just kind of roll out to the opposite direction. And Texas just seemed slow to tackle any of those guys. And 
this is this is something that I caught uh, on Randolph Air Force Base playing Pee Wee for the Randolph uh, the Randolph Pee Wee Falcons. Uh, I played uh, defensive tackle, and they said anybody that has a running back or wide receiver number comes in your face, tackle them. It's not illegal to tackle someone that doesn't have the ball. So just just hit a guy. And Coach Lamon's a guy who who writes for BON and does some kind of uh, tape analysis. Uh, he was he was saying how uh, how passive these defenders were, and some of it may be because they were afraid of big hits. They were afraid of laying the wood because of the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, a a referee wanting to make himself a storyline, throwing a flag pregame uh, to. You know, to, to basically say there was a, there was a pregame dust up. Now, I I will say that was the second or third pregame dust up because um, Javon Shepard didn't play, but much in the way of Keandre Coburn a year ago, the way he was jawing with some OU fans, that guy could quickly become a favorite of mine if he produces on the field uh, because he was um, saying some words you learned from the plumber and really getting in those guys' faces, and I like that from a young pup. Oh, I did too. I did too. It's fights. The reason we like we like Keanu Cobar, and it's the it's the reason you know you should be able to talk as long as you back it up. I'll say that. Um, there were a few guys on the defense who played pretty well. There was a lot of guys who played average at best, and even more who failed. Who just were if you're grading them out, they 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 don't pass. Um, I I think the best player uh, on the defense was was Osai. I think Cook had a great game. Um, he made the effort. I think Jamison was, was, was good. I think you, after you get past those three, it's really tough to give anyone else any kudos. Um, I, I will, I will stop you there. Keandre Coburn played one of his best games. Um, sure, be, sure. Because of the, the motor and he, he made what I would say is one of the plays of the game where he was completely cross field and ran Jalen hurts down from behind. Like that, that is a play that will, I, I have forever ingratiated to, to Keandre Coburn. That, that's actually a fantastic point. And, and with that line, I mean, we expect, I'll say this, we expected pressure to be the big part of the game plan. We previewed that. It seemed like that, uh, the tackles probably was oversold how hurt they were. Um, but it just seemed ripe for the picking. Um, I will say Coburn did. And, and actually, um, he, he did pretty well against Creed, but what he actually, it seemed like, um, they moved him in, in kind of an offset nose and he really was a problem, uh, for the guards on either side. Um, so I agree with you there. I, I, that was an oversight on my part. I thought Coburn, uh, did have a good game, but again, um, that was kind of the one read that, that Hertz had to make was I have to get past this guy who's penetrating and no one else in the defense was there at a secondary to, to make him, you know, make him pay after that. Uh, just, just, you know, with Lincoln Riley, he's one of the best at drawing up run packages and, and in the run game, he gets past credit from the air raid background. Um, but he's really become one of, like you said, one of the best, if not the best football mind in the country on the, the sets he uses, the motions, the actions, the way he does it, the way he RPOs, all those things. I get it. It's tough. But it just felt like Orlando was just laying there taking it. We didn't try anything. Um, again, you put Foster on the field when he doesn't even have a shoulder, and all he can do is try to hit. He can't wrap up. I get it. That's tough situation. Like we've already talked about the caveats. I'm not here to talk about the caveats, the, the being hurt and not being able to tackle, the having the flag against them, all those things. It just didn't feel like the... 
the rest of the team, you know, whether it was Mitchell, who's banged up, uh, whether it was Brown, who just missed a lot of those tackles, whether it was Jones, the senior, who I really expected to have a great game, just had some poor plays. Um, you know, Overshone had a good blitz, but didn't get out there a, a ton enough to, to say he was there. He just, just didn't get on the didn't wasn't there in that package Boyce not great Estelle was you know, Boyce was fine I guess Estelle was fine but you, you go down the list I, I don't know I don't know I, I don't know who my like stand out like okay at least that looked good from there something to build off I just I think in the big 12 championship there's some questions to be answered um some pretty serious ones if it's a showing like this again you end the season with with some 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 really tough decisions and, and things to think about. It's tough to say that, but I think I'm living in three years ago and not right now because that's why I'm having trouble saying that. Because three years ago, one of the best defenses in school history. Last two years are going to be, if the trends hold, the two worst defenses in school history. Now, granted, there are two to th- uh, one to two more games in these seasons, and... Again, offenses are doing vastly different things than they were doing in 1986. I get that. However, far and away, the two statistical worst defenses in school history. Like, there, there's no two ways around that. Like, it's just, I, I can't I, I can't say it any other way. Um, you, if you do it yards per play, 6.4, second worst in school history. Uh, it's it's just, if, if the season ended today, 453.3 yards per game. Worst in school history. Like, I, I'm i not a fire the coordinators at every turn kind of guy, but if if this defense with the level of talent... Now, again, you do... There is, like, the, the asterisk of you, you lost a ton of guys to injury, uh, but I think the biggest difference... I think the biggest difference for this defense is there hasn't been a guy that's really emerged as your go-to playmaking linebacker, where there's there's a couple of guys that could be, but you don't have a Malik Jefferson on this unit. You don't have a Gary Johnson on this unit. There's not that guy, and and McCullough? we thought that De, we thought that DeGabriel Floyd may be that guy in the future, but but the jury's still out on his injury, and so we'll find that out. And so, uh, do you do you move a do you move a big safety down to linebacker to get some speed there because speed at the linebacker position is a, a big part of what makes Todd Orlando's defense go and Texas doesn't have it in spades like they have in the first two years under under Todd Orlando yeah man I, I think it's tough there are plenty of coordinators who have on their resume that they've gotten out coached and spent a game trying to chase Lincoln Riley it's it's an unbelievably difficult thing to do but yeah you have to be able to have a scheme. You have to be able to coach within that. If it's moving guys from safety down, um, you need to coach them up so that they know how to play in that position, how to set an edge against the run. I mean, it's just wild to me that you can have zero sacks and almost no pressures, but also not have a spy. Um, like, were we down a man? Like, did we, Did you know? Were, it was like, 10 on 11, for yeah, sure. Yeah, seriously. I mean, was it like, 
you know, we had some some penalty card and we had to, you know, like red card and we had to play a man down like in soccer. I, I just it didn't seem like there were 11 guys on the field for the 11 that, that Oklahoma was able to put out there on any particular offensive possession. I'll give you give him credit that while the yards look extremely, extremely bad. They held OU to their lowest point total of the year. They executed in the red zone pretty admirably. Um, the, you know, 60 yards in between the 20s uh, was miserable. Um, OU averaged 7.7 yards per play. Uh, it, it, that's impossible to win a game. Uh, unless my prediction was way, 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 way off, but I thought OU's defense was still a Mike Stoops, had some Mike Stoops in it, and it was just going to be a shootout unless Texas was averaging 7.1 uh, to hang with them, um, and it was that true shootout, and then the turnovers become more of a factor. But even with two turnovers um, and some really good bend-don't-break, 7.7 just means that it's an offense getting what it's want, feasting all over you, um, and you can only have so many good red zone stands before they just find a way in and and i mean in the big 12 you play a lot of bend don't break and maybe it was a combination of texas played bend don't break like in a lot of in a lot of big 12 games like 34 points on defense is enough to win you a game which is a weird and and maybe we're having a different conversation if colin johnson doesn't get hurt late and and the texas offense is able to um to really get things going and we're, we're saying all this the only reason texas didn't get 21 skunked in this game is because of todd orlando's unit making some big plays yeah turning jalen hurts over multiple times and so like it's hard for me to really rag on them too much because they played their hearts out in the er, in the early parts of the game and held ou to their lowest first quarter output since the uh not, since the college football playoff game last year like that's that they played really well early, and it's sad that by the time they were tired, the offense finally picked it up. When yeah. when the defense played well, the if if the offense played like it did in the second half and the first half, Texas would have had a lead at halftime, and yeah. you'd be having a different conversation. And, and that's exactly right. I think that's a that's a fantastic point. Is they they feed off of each other, um, but but. Yeah, they couldn't get synced up. This was supposed to be the number four offense in the country that Texas had that just didn't look like they were confident in what they could do. So you're right. Um, I agree with that. We could talk about in the Kansas preview what we think they might be able to do to remedy some of that. But I think you, you mentioned the two units not being on at the same time. I, I don't think you can talk about this game, and I do um, want to not spend another hour on this, but you could probably spend some time without talking about the third phase of the game because – Part of those offensive struggles that then turned into defensive tough positions because of the field position battle started with special teams. I, I, I have never had a more frustrating year specifically with fielding the ball on kicks and punts. I get it. The sun's in your eyes in that stadium. I just, it, it just, it was, it was almost inexcusable. Texas's average, average starting position on kicks that they fielded the 17 uh they start on the five and the 13 that's tough when you have a defense that's pinned its ears back and playing downhill you have sam with his heels uh on the goal line or some paint on his on his cleats um there was a catchable punt that was you know right around the the 10 roll down or outside of the 10 roll inside of it on a jameson play so it wasn't just duvernay um, there was a fielding Duvernay did field a kick with, with no timeouts. Um, when Texas kind of was trying to get something before the half and took, took, you know, extra time off and didn't even get, 
you know, a good return. I get the the heart that you want to make something happen, but that's just situational one on one stuff. Like, I, I, after the first or second mistake, do you do you not talk to to Devin and and say, you know, I, I just don't know. I just it just it just seemed very very odd from the special teams all around. Um, I don't know. Any bright spots? No. There were there were no bright spots on the um on the def- on the on the special teams unit. Like as, as and again I put this out on the Twitter, as incredible as Devin Duvernay is in the slot, he is that unimpressive as a returner as it comes to making decisions. Like when he should when he should field them he doesn't when he shouldn't field them like one that was his hit the side of his foot was basically out of bounds you let that one go and you get the ball in incredible field position and I believe Texas punted right after that uh you like I just don't understand the him bringing ball like if Texas never returns another kick this year like just fair catch them all you'll get them on the 25 just do it just fair catch them all You'll get them on the 25. That's the rule now. Freaking do it because you don't know what you're doing at this point. But you have to catch it because he tried that once because it bent so bad. And then he dropped it and we started on the five. So, I mean, it's just, it was almost a comedy of errors. There was a, a great, the, my highlight of special teams was the moment that we successfully fielded and fair caught a kickoff. And the the, the crowd, it was on the Texas uh, end, gave a really sarcastic cheer. I love good sarcastic fans. Um that may have been, I guess, Dicker made uh, both of his field goals. And honestly, his onside kick um, was pretty good. Right, that's two for two that were, that were, you know, put the, 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 fieldable the kick balls. into play. Yeah, fieldable, exactly. That's what that's what you asked for, right? Make it, make it a play. Let, let the guys do something. So Dicker, I guess, is the, is the lone um, bright spot. I think Bushevsky was forced into action quite a bit and did, did pretty well. But um, just from uh, the other parts of special teams, anything that wasn't kicking, obviously we're kicking and punting school and podcasts, but anything else was just, just bad. Like I, I, I don't know how to explain it. That just needs to be coached up. Absolutely. And, and uh, one, you know, your punter had a good game when you don't notice the punter, your punter has a great game when you notice the punter for good reasons, right? That's like how you measure it. Uh, and I'm, and, and I don't want to bag on the coaches too much, but I, Herman's got to make some decisions about Derek Wareheim, and I think a lot of his his continued employment at the University of Texas maybe has to do with his abilities on the recruiting trail, and that may be a different conversation that we need to have. Uh, but so Texas now heads back home to take on the Kansas Jayhawks. We will bring you our preview podcast on Thursday. So uh, tomorrow, when you're listening to this, you will then get a new another podcast from us two days in a row. That's how much we love you. Yeah, we, we, we love you just as much as betters who, who bet on Texas uh, love them. Because as everyone says, you know, good teams win, great teams cover. And hey, at least Texas covered. Love a little backdoor cover. So now's the part of the show where we uh, give some shine to the, the programs that don't necessarily get 40 minutes of podcast time. And we down the 40. So volleyball. They, on Saturday, took care of business against Oklahoma with a straight sweep of the Sooners. You took out the brooms, shot them back over the Red River. Uh, Logan Eggleston finished with 12 kills. Texas moves to 5-0 and in conference play. Brownie Butler, uh, the Offensive Player of the Week, with her cumulative number of kills, she had 16 in the week. So a good outing from Texas Volleyball. 
And I mean, really, which game mattered more? I'd argue the volleyball team, so we know who really won this week. They point Texas. Uh, soccer is still struggling. Uh, dropped a 2-0 decision against number 18 Oklahoma State. Only had four shots on goal in that matchup. Not great. Uh, Yuya Ito won singles at the ITA All-American Championship. That guy continues to crush it. Number two women's golf won the Betsy Rawls Invitational for the second straight year, putting a school record 276 in the final round for a 15-under. And men's golf tied for third at the Big 12 Match Play Championship. So all's well in the rest of the sports, at least. That's right. Uh, you know, we're like you said, the country club sports, we're, we're doing just fine. And um, I, the state of Texas sports does not only include the football team we we learned that sadly the past years wandering the desert we still had a really good athletics program um texas football isn't going anywhere they're back baby don't worry about that but the the rest of the 40 acres is in a very very healthy spot absolutely and speaking of a healthy spot that takes us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, this week, um, and by the way, Gerald, just fantastic segue work as usual. You're the master. Um, this week, I want to bang the drum on on the eyes of Texas, and, and, and not just the eyes of Texas, but the eyes of, of the world. Um, Texas OU was uh, the big... Big noon Saturday. There's there's a, a running joke that it sounds like when Gus Johnson says that, it sounds like he's saying big nude Saturday, um, which is just hilarious. But the big noon Saturday game um, had a lot of eyes on it. It was uh, it was the big one. There was, of course, an SEC game between LSU and Florida uh, later in the day. But the Red River Shootout garnered 7.3 million viewers for a Saturday morning game. Not even the prime time could come close to that on ESPN uh, with a whole million less. Um, the the Bama A&M game, uh, again, not even uh, in the ballpark down at third. Um, but but basically, you know, UT, UT is, is, the, is the draw. OU is a fantastic blue blood. You put these two teams together, it's why they say this is the best, um, the best rivalry in college sports. Um, again, the, the top any sport athletic uh, event of this weekend, but also the third most watched college football game of the season, LSU-Texas, um, up there as well. I mean, it's... It's uh, there's big implications on this game every year when both teams are good. Uh, the the whole college football world stops to watch, and the eyes of the world are upon Texas. So um, continues to be good. I'll be very curious what the Big Twelve Championship ratings look like um, because you know playing twice now again if everything goes to plan every year you would think in theory could dilute the the viewership of this game because you know you get a second crack at it but so far in the second year of its existence with that championship game doesn't seem to be hurting no not at all and i think that's uh you you mentioned something that texas is more of the draw and i think the rivalry itself is a draw but i do think nationally texas is a brand that everybody wants to see because and this is probably going to piss off some ou fans if they listen there's a reason why OU plays 11 a.m. games. They're 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 a national brand because they're good right now, but they're 11 a.m. games because they're not competitive, so they're not drawing fans 
that aren't fans of either school that are playing. So like you, you have to I mean, that's just kind of how TV works. You put your draws at two 30 and you put your draws, your biggest draws at the 7 PM kickoff. So like there's a reason the earlier teams and that's, that's either here nor there. So my bang the drum this week is the lack of cotton at the cotton bowl. They removed the cotton logo from center field. The Texas Longhorns are 0-1 without the cotton logo on the field. How do you not have cotton in the cotton bowl? And I I know they're they're trying to class up and and make this a more national event, but it's at the Texas State Fair. Big Tex is right outside. You got Fletcher's Corny Dogs. I am sorry. As as a displaced Texan. It feels a little disrespectful that they're trying to take some of the Texas out of Texas OU. Like that the Cotton Bowl is the Cotton Bowl. And there there have been talks for years of people that are not affiliated with either school saying, well, they should move this game to Jerry World. They could sell more tickets. And the Cotton Bowl is outdated. You could take that talk back north. Get that out of my ear, you Yankee. Like, get out of here. I don't want it. There's a reason why. Games like this draw. There's a reason why a neutral site game for both teams is a sellout year in and year out. There's something about the Cotton Bowl. There's something about the Texas State Fair. There's magic to this game and the ratings that Kyle just talked about speak to that. So stop trying to whitewash this game. Like do do not try to put a fresh coat of paint on the Mona Lisa. Don't don't change the Mona Lisa's facial expression. Don't put a Snapchat filter on her. There's a reason why the Mona Lisa is beautiful and she will be beautiful for centuries. Don't take the Texas out of the Cotton Bowl. And don't take the game out of the Cotton Bowl either. It's a bold strategy. Cotton, as they say in the famous gif, and also it's from a movie, kids. Um the the other thing that I want to say here, in the same year that they take the cotton out of the logo. AT&T actually had the the lead on logos. I think they had six. Texas and OU was somewhere around four each, and Big 12 had three each. So this was clearly the AT&T bowl. Um, but in the same year that they took the cotton out of the logo, they also introduced a new state fair food. And I talked about this on the uh, Crimson and Cream podcast when I went on there about the new foods. They had a cotton candy burrito. You have the audacity to steal the cotton out of the logo and then put cotton inside of my burrito, cotton candy, that is. Just get it together. Now, is that the cotton candy burrito where they use the cotton candy as a tortilla substitute and they put ice cream in the middle? Is that what that is? Um, it, it, it's There's a lavender bean cheesecake that they, uh, I think they, it's cotton candy topped with sprinkles and then wrapped in, I don't know, I haven't seen it. Are you are you gonna are you riding right? I want to hear this. Where are you going? So I've seen I've seen a video on Twitter of people using cotton candy as the tortilla in a sweet burrito, where you put cotton candy and ice cream on the inside. And as a as a big fella who probably should lay off the sweets, my doctor will tell me that exactly in about twelve hours tomorrow morning. I'm sure uh, that I I would want to taste a a cotton candy filled with ice cream at least once in my life just to say i did uh I, you know I, I got nothing there just sa- save the cotton candy tortillas for our for our tech preview i guess throw cotton candy i would love to see people try to throw cotton candy that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet uh you can find me on twitter at kyle carpenter you can find the texas pregamer on twitter 
at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH. Go to follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Feel free to shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Jalen Hurts is a big